Please note, this episode contains graphic content that may be disturbing or traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Cheer Incorporated, a podcast launched by the investigative journalist at FitzNews.com. Cheer Incorporated is produced by FitzNews, which broke this story wide open with its coverage of the Rockstar Cheer sex abuse scandal in Greenville, South Carolina. Cheer Incorporated remains dedicated to exposing the culture of sexual abuse, intimidation, and the ensuing cover-up within America's cheerleading industry. Our team digs deep, provides context, and shares stories, starting with those who endured the very worst of this industry's ravages, but extending our microphones to everyone with something insightful to say on this story. Our podcast is written, narrated, and produced by our research director and resident cheer mom, Jen Wood, by our director of special projects, Dylan Nolan, and by me, Fitz News founding editor, Will Folks. Got something you think we should know about this story? Email us at research at fitznews.com. That's research at F-I-T-S-N-E-W-S.com. Now, let's go to Jen. I've called it an avalanche, one that is only just beginning to cascade down the mountain. I've also called the horrifying epidemic of underage sex abuse in America's competitive cheer industry the next USA gymnastics scandal, only bigger. How did the scandal start? Go back to episode one of this podcast and listen to the story of rock star cheer Scott Foster, whose death by suicide in Greenville, South Carolina, was the impetus for this avalanche, the point of critical mass that set all of this into motion. We'll be digging into the Scott Foster story more in future episodes, but for the last three months, we've been far too busy following the fallout from his suicide, while at the same time giving our listeners important background on the players in this industry. We've also been focused on contextualizing the history of competitive cheer and how its evolution as an industry has led to the culture of cover-ups that we are witnessing today. While the nation's mainstream media has remained largely silent or silenced on this story, guess what? The story isn't letting up. And if they're not going to tell it, well, someone has to. Last week, FitzNews.com reported on three new federal lawsuits filed in U.S. District Court in Orlando, Florida. These lawsuits were filed by attorneys with the Columbia, South Carolina-based Strom Law Firm, as well as lawyers with the Boca Raton, Florida-based firm Osborne and Francis. These Florida suits were filed on behalf of three anonymous Jane Doe's, bringing the total number of survivors in these recently filed actions up to 20. The defendants, they included since-shuttered Daytona, Florida gym Champion Elite Legacy, its former owner Ashley Hughes, and a suspended all-star cheer coach named Eric Christensen. Christensen, who was apparently known around the Daytona gym as, quote, Creepy Eric, end quote, was arrested in Strong City, Kansas on August 4, 2022, after police in Daytona Beach issued a warrant for his arrest on three felony counts of lewd and lascivious conduct. According to a police report obtained by reporter Annika Hope of WESH in Daytona, three girls all under the age of 16 recorded a FaceTime call with Christensen in early July of this year, during which he exposed himself to them, quote, while he touched himself, end quote. 
the girls recorded their call with Christensen, quote, because he had shown lewd behavior before, end quote, according to Hope's report. Now, this is the part that just broke my heart. According to the lawsuits, the girls recorded the call, quote, to show the abuse and make a record of it because they feared that without such proof, they would not be believed. Does that sound familiar? Almost formulaic. This is one of the key dynamics of the Cheer Incorporated scandal, a culture which refuses to take credible allegations of abuse seriously and then refuses to hold the accusers accountable, even when there is clear and compelling evidence of their conduct. Following these latest allegations, Christensen has been deemed, quote, temporarily ineligible, according to the latest ineligibility list maintained by the U.S. All-Star Federation, or USASF, and USA Cheer. Both USASF and USA Cheer are named among the defendants in each of the 10 Cheer Incorporated lawsuits filed over the last three months. That's right. There are now 10 lawsuits. The Florida lawsuits, like the federal filings which preceded them in South Carolina, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia, each allege a, quote, civil conspiracy on the part of the defendants tied to the Federal Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, also known as RICO. In other words, a, quote, criminal enterprise is being alleged, one in which defendants are accused of collaboratively engaging in a, quote, pattern of racketeering activity. At the heart of this alleged conspiracy, failed oversight on the part of the individual gym owners, but also on the part of the regulatory agencies charged with holding them accountable. Those agencies are effectively controlled by Tennessee-based Varsity, the behemoth of the American cheerleading industry. Varsity, along with its founder, Jeff Webb, is another co-defendant in the lawsuits. In the Florida cases, the former owner of Champion Elite Legacy seemed to provide significant fodder for this failed oversight narrative, with its owner telling the Daytona TV station that she was, quote, aware of one other incident that was immediately reported investigated, and cleared through an outside organization. Now, I think you can guess what entity that was, right? According to one of the complaints, Christiansen played a game with one of his alleged underage victims entitled Jeepers Creepers. And during this game, he would, quote, discuss sexual content, grope, and fondle the young girl, according to the lawsuit. During this game, Christiansen would also, quote, run his hands up her legs and thighs, and place his fingers and hands on her vagina. Again, according to the lawsuit. Jane Doe was only 13 years old at the time these incidents allegedly occurred. You heard me right. 13. Each of the three lawsuits referenced numerous occasions upon which Christensen allegedly exposed his penis to these underage girls and touched them inappropriately on their breasts and legs and upper thighs. Christensen was told by the girls on multiple occasions to stop, but refused to do so, according to the suits. 
Now, these filings also detailed graphic videos made by the girls in which Christensen exposed himself to them, masturbated, and played with sex toys. I quote, One of the videos showed Christensen naked in a shower stall, masturbating with a small blue massage device while talking to the first Jane Doe and other minor children, one of the suits claimed. During this recording, Christensen is heard asking Doe and the other minor children to retrieve items for him and bring them to him in the shower. Now, just as ominously, the lawsuits detailed how parents became aware of this behavior and how they soon learned of, quote, numerous prior complaints made by other parents at Champion Elite about Christensen. According to these filings, the complaints were met with, quote, inaction and mishandling by the gym owner. And I quote, Reports of Christensen exposing his penis to underage athletes were made to the Florida Department of Children and Families and to USASF in October of 2021 and February of 2022, but no action was taken, one of the lawsuits alleged. I want to repeat something so that everyone listening hears me. Quote, no action was taken. This right here. This is why my ongoing conversation with Professor Amos Giora is so vital. Because when you hear the phrase, no action was taken, that is the definition of enabling behavior. Every single person who was made aware that Christensen exposed his penis to a minor and did absolutely nothing to prevent him from continuing to have access to children, and I mean every single freaking one of them, is an enabler of sexual abuse. Had they taken action, the abuse could have been stopped in its tracks. But most of the time, enablers walk away from these situations without facing any repercussions. They're not held accountable for their inactions. Would they make the same decisions if they knew they could face criminal charges for failing to report? If they knew there were consequences to seeing but not saying something? Here's the second part of my interview with Dr. Giora. So all 50 states have some version of a mandatory reporting law. Yes, they do. Okay. That's right. Uh, They implemented and how they implemented is a different story. Right. And what the what the penal, penalties and, are. And, and to what extent is the Title, title IX coordinator trained in the, in, the, in, the, in the obligations and the nuance? Um, the, the, and who is the Title IX coordinator? You know, I've interviewed, you know, X number of people on this stuff. But the Title IX coordinator was like, somebody said to him, hey, yo, what are you doing today? You're the Title IX coordinator. And, uh, hey, what are you doing today? You're the new Title IX coordinator. And thereby, they had zero training, zero prep, zero anything. And all of a sudden, they're actually stuck, I think is the right word, with a job that is unbelievably important. Right. Absolutely devoid of any professional training extending beyond, you know, those, those training videos or whatever they all are, those tests online, which we all do. We all go check, check, yeah. check, check, check. I mean, right. Okay. I need an 80% to pass. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and I've talked to any number of, of, of timeline coordinators, you know, obviously anonymously, um, who, when they share their training or how they were selected for this actually super important job, you are, 
um, in polite English, they are befuddled and you are befuddled uh, along with them. Right. Um, there's a there's a case that put aside the details, which are um, it's a Jane Doe, where the where the person in in charge of a particular institution was also the Title IX coordinator, and that just can't exactly. No. It's a conflict of interest. That, like the most important conflict of interest. Extraordinary. Okay. So it's Jane Doe, not important who, what, why, where, when, but that reflects a, a profound misunderstanding of what what Title IX is. Do you, um, so in terms of enablers and criminalization of enablers, would that fall under bystander laws or is that? So there's, take here Utah, for instance. Bystander legislation was enacted by, signed by Governor Cox. The word bystander does not appear for political reasons. Um, it's roped into or looped into mandatory reporting legislation by expanding it, by imposing a duty with respect to vulnerable adults um, and vulnerable children. Um, I'm pleased to report, hot off the presses, literally an hour ago, that by the end of this month, uh, Utah State Representative Brian King, with whom I have worked for the past seven years, is introducing legislation, which if you give me a minute, I can actually call it up on my iPhone for you. Um, literally hot off the presses. Um, the bill, bear with me for a second. Um, here we go. The bill, uh, you have to bear with me. I'm not, I told you I'm not, Mr. Technology, right? I said that to you. <laughs> yes. The bill, uh, which will be introduced at the end of the month, end of this month, um, is entitled Crime Posting Restrictions that I'm reading, makes it a crime to make public an image of a crime before notifying law enforcement or verifying that another person has reported it to law enforcement. This will be the first state to have this. So that's a, an aspect of enabling without using the word enabler. And um, as I say, it will be introduced in the legislature by Representative King by the end of the month. It's a huge step forward to protect the vulnerable. What are other steps that you think could be should be enacted? In the in the ideal in the is, ideal world, um, having um, an understanding that the enabler he's not he or she they're not quite a co-conspirator they're not quite an aider and a better they're not quite an accomplice they are in that grayish zone they're not the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. In the ideal, we would have a clear articulation of exactly what this is. And, you know, this is what I work on from no exaggeration from morning until night, because I think that this really is the most critical issue. Um, because I'm absolutely convinced, or I've convinced myself that without doing so, the perpetrator can continue acting in the, in the, um, 
the manner in which they're doing so. Yeah, I think that's what's like when I keep this is that's what's bothering me the most about this story is that it is just it just keeps going. It keeps repeating. And I think you're right that it is the enabler. It's that's the stopgap. That's where we're missing an opportunity to better protect. That's right. And I think that Representative King's effort to under to recognize more than recognize to criminalize. I'm posting on whatever the hell they all post. What is it? Facebook, Instagram, wherever it is. I mean, I don't know anything about this stuff. The Twitter. <laughs> well, that's Mr. Musk, right? Um, <laughs> rather than calling the police, all you're doing is you are enabling, facilitating crime. And you're ensuring the humiliation. I mean, we all know. And I think that that's why I think Representative King's effort is so extremely important. A lot of um, A lot of the laws... Do I mean out of the ten that had bystanders that you had used for examples, there were a few that specified reporting to law enforcement was required, but not mm-hmm. all of them. And to me, so I you know I see these gyms or coaches filing these complaint reports with USASF or USA Cheer, which is funded by varsity, but that's a whole nother story, but they're filing these reports, but they're not filing the police reports. So yeah, they're filing these internal reports, but there's nobody, there's nobody mandating that ever the file a police report, which is concerning. Sure. I mean, there are people who for a variety of reasons, and you know, this also that don't want to file with the police shame embarrassment mm-hmm. we know i mean we all know right um and i understand that but i i think it's it's obviously really important to do so right on the other hand on the other hand many of the girls told me that you know they got the financial settlement michigan state usa gymnastics and that's fine but what they would really like to see is to have the enablers criminalized so the 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 compensation, the the settlement, whatever amount of money they got, go. That's great for them. It's 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 um, a piece of the puzzle, not more than a piece of the puzzle, because they also understand that it's the institution that's paying the, the half a billion dollars, rather than the individual who was responsible for the the harm done to them. Okay, and I agree with them. I mean, I'm not the one who's been uh, you know assaulted, but. They repeatedly have told me, you know, the money's fine, right? But absent um, prosecution of the of the of the enabler, nothing will change, and they are absolutely correct. They are correct. I agree. Um, your quote from Gloria Steinem in the book: mm. "When everyone is behaving as a, something is normal, it comes to seem so, even when our individual instincts are saying this is crazy." That struck me because I've talked to a lot of parents whose children aren't cheerleaders anymore. And they said once they got out, they felt like they had gotten out of a cult. And looking back on it, they said, now I'm like, why did I think that that was normal? Why did I think it was normal for a coach to behave that way? Why didn't I like, why didn't I see it? 
And that that quote struck me because a lot of them are looking back and going, well, it was just normal. Everybody was, it was just the normal cultural norm of a gym. It's how gyms functioned. It's how everybody was behaving. Um, and I think, you know, institutionally and individually, I think that's an important point to remind people that if it something feels off. But, you know, that's also, uh, one of the Nasser victims, she, she, her mom's driving her home. And mom says, you know, how is it? You know, Larry Nasser. And the kid says, oh, mom, uh, it was weird. He touched me here. He touched me there. Something is off. Mom says, I'm turning around. I'm going to go confront him. And the kid says, no way. You confront Larry. I'm off the team. Boom. Yeah. Just it's a it's a hard it's a hard line, I think. And I think having some I'm trying to think consequences for enablers, um, whether it's coaches or gym owners or that's what absolutely is kind of that where I think that's where we can stop this. Or at least that's where it has to start and all to stop. Yes. Right. That's okay. exactly right. Um okay. listen, I you know, I'm I'm a, I'm aware of the fact that this is an uphill battle, it's a slog, obviously. Um, but what's the expression? You know, game on. Um yeah. and you know, I'm locked in on this. This is what I do. I understand the complexity. I understand the pushback. It's been very, made very clear to me. Believe me, um, <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> um, you know, you do the best you can. I'm eternally grateful to people like you who reach out um, because I do believe the more noise, the more noise. Right, right. I mean, it um, tends to. I mean, their goal has been, their game plan has been to sweep it under the rug. Nothing to see here, folks. It was a one-time thing. And, and he's a great guy. Oh, he's a great guy. I can't tell you how many times I've been told he's a great guy. Um, yeah. Everybody loved him. That, absolutely. And, you know, that's interesting you put it that way. So when you write about what I've written about high school teachers, junior high mm -hmm. teachers, and, I, and I've interviewed many women who were assaulted, raped by the teacher. And it's... Talk about a pattern that repeats itself with the women. I mean, they're, you know, they're women today. They're 40s plus. They all say the same thing. Um, speaking frankly with you, I assume we can speak frankly here. Um, I thought he loved me. I loved him. Uh, he was hot over and over again. That he was, you can roll your eyes until tomorrow, but that he was hot. Um, you know, and I, by the way, I've talked to women who were not assaulted, who told me, yeah, absolutely. I had a crush on, in ninth grade on Mr. Jones. Yeah, but, but that's appropriate. I mean, that's fine. Right. She's 15 and he's the hot, energetic, charismatic teacher, but he's the adult. Kind of. He's the adult. That's the thing. That's the catch. He's the adult. And it's his role to say, whoa, whoa. By the way, that's also with, true with women teachers who assault male students. Which happens. I mean, 
a lot. I, I interviewed a guy uh, who for two years in seventh and eighth grade regularly had sex with his female teacher. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she's no better than a man te- male teacher. And in his words, in his words, uh, he's my age, a little bit older. She took away his, she robbed him of his childhood. She did. She did. Hmm? It's a sad, it's a sad statement. She did. And in the moment, he will tell you if he were here, in the moment, it was cool, you know, he was 13, 14, and he, by all, all the guys were high-fiving him. And the, and she, he says that she was absolutely, like, stunning. Dude, it's cool. And then you realize later in life, are you, like, kidding me? Right. It's not It's not until 20 years later, we're like, ooh, that's... 30 years or 40 years. Right. Ask Catholic Church, ask male Catholic Church survivors when they realize that something went awry, and it's much later in life. Which is one of the reasons the statute of limitations needs to be expanded. Yeah. Expanded. I agree. This is a fight. I'm all in. Me too. It is a fight. Not only against abusers, but their enablers. Not only against individual offenders, but a failed system. A corrupt culture. And a corrosive industry that just wants it all to go away. At Fitz News and at Cheer Incorporated... We're all in when it comes to fighting that fight, too. All in for digging deep on a story the national media keeps ignoring. All in for sharing the sorts of stories and perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. All in for hosting a conversation in which all perspectives are welcomed. All in for finding truth. All in for pursuing justice. And most importantly, all in for making this industry and any industry which oversees our children, a place where they can safely pursue their hopes and dreams, free from abuse, harassment, intimidation, and molestation. If that isn't a fight worth fighting for, I don't know what is. Are you all in? If so, please download, share, and review our podcast and keep it tuned to fitsnews.com and Cheer Incorporated for the very latest on this saga.